Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, David Chan, the co-founder and COO of Farm Together, a disruptive fintech company that allows individuals to directly invest in farmland. David was put on earth to build this business, as you'll hear in his journey through investment banking, startups, and private equity, to now building Farm Together. The conversation we have is so enlightening, and I just know that you're going to enjoy it. So let's jump right in. All right. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on here. Hey, Alex. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, you got a really cool, sounds like a disruptive company, Farm Together. Um, but I'm so interested in how you got to this company because it's kind of seemed like, just reading your background, that you've kind of been on a march to this your entire career. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's been a funny path thus far. Um, so really, I think how I ended up in farmland investing um, goes all the way back to something I've been crazy about uh, since I was a kid, which is weather. Um, I'm a total weather nerd. Um, I grew up in upstate New York. I, you know, saw blizzards, tornadoes, hurricanes, you name it. Um, and uh, that led me to study meteorology in college. Um, so I learned about uh, atmospheric science and um, weather forecasting and climate change uh, in undergrad at Cornell. Um, and the idea was always, you know, sort of to go get a PhD and um, do some really great groundbreaking uh, climate science. Um, and in undergrad, I realized we already know what we need to know, in my opinion, on how our climate is changing. Um, and it's a much better use of time and skill today to do something with that information rather than, um, you know, continue to, to uh, inquire about it through, uh, through research. So um, I kind of made a beeline towards industry. Um, and I picked uh, business largely because I, I saw how investors how powerful they can be, how they can um, cause companies to, to change practices, change directions, um, change industries uh, through the power of investment. And so I thought, you know, really um, voting with dollars is a very meaningful way to get the world to change behavior. And so I thought um, this would be an area where we could actually potentially help mitigate climate risk um, and help us adapt. Um, in the 21st century. Um, so then it became what industry? What industry do I think will be most impacted by climate? Um, the thing with farmland and agriculture is that it has this really unique circular relationship where um, the way our climate is changing impacts where we farm and what we farm today. Um, but also the way we farm today can either contribute towards accelerating that change in climate or could potentially mitigate and slow that change in climate by sequestering carbon from the atmosphere. So I can't find any other industry out there that has this sort of circular relationship. So that's how I ended up in ag and farmland. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I grew up near farms. My first job was uh, 
as a 12 year old who was working at a nearby uh, apple orchard. Um, never, ever, ever thought I would be in this world, um, but, but here I am. So it's kind of been a, a full circle. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's amazing to hear. I like how um, determined you've been. I mean, you've laid out, here's my passion. Now, how do I, how do I go out there and build a career around that? And that's like, I mean, A, it's just, you're really fortunate to have had the knowledge of like, oh, I have this passion. And then the wherewithal to be able to like build, you know, um, jobs and careers around it. Appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I definitely think uh, one thing that's been helpful for me is, is sort of having that North Star of, you know, what, what's the very small angle or topic that I'm crazy about. For me, it's always been weather and climate and, and then just building on that. So yeah, that, that's definitely my North Star and, and what led me to, uh, to co-founding Farm together. Right. Okay. So let's continue on the, on the, the story. So once you have this epiphany that you want to go into business, you want to do it in the farming uh, sector, like what, what, what happens next? So, you know, I started, uh, I started in finance, um, uh, in sales and trading. Um, I was at Barclays, uh, and, um, <clears throat> at that time, commodities on wall street were not, um, were not the darling. Um, so there weren't that many opportunities, um, at, 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 at a large investment bank to sort of get exposure to agriculture. So, um, I actually left uh, after a few years to join uh, a different startup, now a Series B startup called Grow Intelligence, um, and uh, and there we developed uh, basically AI and other big data tools for agriculture for decision makers, ranging from investors to um, government officials, a secretary of agriculture, a minister of agriculture, anyone who would be making decisions based on uh, decisions on agriculture based on various market information. Um, after grow, I uh, went to um, business school at Harvard and got my MBA and used that as sort of a, uh, a pivot more towards um, the investment side of Farmland and Ag. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to get uh, a couple of experiences um, through internships with firms like Prudential and SLM Partners doing actual farmland investment um, work and doing actual deals in the farmland space. Um, so that was sort of my path. And um, after business school, I was working in private equity, investing in agribusinesses. Um, so I had the opportunity to compare investing in the actual asset, which would be farmland, and investing in agribusinesses. Um, and I found the uh, the real asset side of it so much more um, interesting and also so much more connected, but again, with my North Star of climate. Um, and so uh, that's what led me to, to leave private equity and come back more towards the actual real asset investing side of, of, of ag and farmland um, and, uh, and join my partner, Artem Milinchuk, in, uh, in founding Farm Together. Interesting. So uh, let me ask you, did the, those investing jobs, both in the, in the real estate and then in the agricultural companies, uh, did, that, did that fulfill your passion you know, for bettering the world, helping out on climate change? Or was it just like, oh, these like, companies are they care about profit so much that it's hard to actually do, you know, well for the world, do good. Um, well, I was fortunate enough to work with great individuals and great, at great companies where I did feel like I was able to make an impact. And some of the companies that I was able to work with and invest in, um, you know, uh, so one example would be uh, this company called Pipeline Foods. Um, uh, that when I was at that private equity firm, um, uh, they were a portfolio company. 
Um, they're trying to help scale uh, organic grains in the United States and basically create a more robust domestic market for organic grain supply. Um, and they're largely fueled by the fact that uh, lots of the organic grain that we import primarily from Eastern Europe um, is, uh, has been proven to be fraudulent. So um, the grains that are, are marketed as certified organic, but you actually did quality uh, assurance and you traced it back up the supply chain. Uh, these are conventional grains, they were not grown organically. Um, so, you know, I, I was able to work on uh, with companies like that, which I think are, are having a huge impact and transforming our, our, um, our food supply. Um, but for me, you know, I really am super passionate about both um, sustainable agriculture and also regenerative agriculture, which is a, um, a, an emerging um, uh, field, no pun intended. Um, and I thought being on the real asset side and being able to, um, you know, basically decide how a farm operates and, and what operating, what an operating agreement looks like, what are the farmland management practices that will be undertaken. Um, that is, the, in my opinion, the most impact that you can have in the space today. Um, uh, and so that's why, I, you know, ultimately I made the decision to leave private equity and come into more of the real asset side. Yeah. So interesting. So what was that like? leaving you know, a very prestigious, comfortable job and going out on your own? Like, how'd you get the confidence to go do that? <laughs> um, I don't know if it's confidence or naivete, but, um, you know, I think um, I was fortunate enough to um, go through a couple of different experiences, both in college and in business school, and surround myself with um, entrepreneurs and, and um, you know, creators, builders, people who... Um, you know, have a vision and, and, and if it doesn't exist today, they'll go and create it. Um, and so really for me, you know, I, I knew farmland investing was accessible to institutional investors, um, endowments, pensions, um, uh, foundations, but, uh, you know, for retail investors, there, there were very limited options. Um, you know, there's a, a very limited scope of public equities where you could argue you're getting agriculture exposure and then you're exposed to, um, uh, you know, specific uh, company exposure as well. That's well outside the realm of, uh, of the ag industry. Um, there are a couple of REITs. Uh, I'm happy to chat more about that later. Um, but there's a couple of reasons why I don't think that's actually as, uh, as powerful as direct access into uh, a farmland asset itself. There was no opportunity for a retail investor um, to you know, have access to what I believe is a, a really wonderful asset class. And so, um, you know, for me, I think I, uh, every entrepreneur is told, you know, you have to establish product market fit. For me, I saw that right away um, because I, I knew that this is an asset class that if it were made more accessible to folks, I, I think the appetite would be there given that interest rates are basically 0%. Um, and the market has been incredibly volatile. And you have this very, stable asset class that's incredibly important to national security and our well-being and, and a whole host of really important things. Um, so it just kind of made sense for me. And, um, you know, I, I guess it was different than like creating a widget of some sort or like an app to, you know, do the same thing that 10 other apps do. Um, it, it really, not that there's anything wrong with any of that, but for me, this served a much deeper purpose. Yeah. Okay. So how'd you get going? Did you guys like buy a farm for a million dollars and then say, okay, here, you can invest in a thousand dollars of this and like divide it up. Or like, what, what was the beginning like? 
I wish our first deal was a million. It wasn't even that much. Uh, our first property was five hundred and ten thousand uh, dollars. That was the acquisition, um, and uh, and I believe our minimum investment uh, is around the same that it is today, uh, fifteen thousand um, dollars, and we sold that uh, to a handful of, uh, of retail investors, and that was sort of our first deal. Um, and it was, you know, we were unproven at the time. Um, it took several weeks to syndicate uh, just a half a million dollar deal. Now we, sometimes we can't keep up with syndicating a $5 million deal. It'll go in one day. So it's, it's incredible to see how that has all evolved over time. But um, that, that's largely what we did, you know, prior to, to me joining and to the rest of the team joining, Artem had spent, so Artem Milinchuk is the founder and CEO of Firm Together. Um, Artem had spent um, a good year, maybe even a little bit of more than a year, studying uh, and creating the blueprint for the for um, the execution of, of how we were going to offer this product and service to investors. Um, when I joined in July of 2019, we still had not uh, actually done a deal, um, but uh, with both me joining, our director of investments um, joining as well shortly after, we had the team in place to actually go out and execute. Um, and so in the fall of 2019 was when we put this $510,000 deal together. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been uh, incredible to see the progress since then. And now, you know, we offer um, deals ranging from, uh, we don't do any that quite that small anymore, but generally on the smaller side, I'd say like 2 million um, upwards to our largest deal was a $14 million um, syndicate. Um, so a pretty, pretty broad range now of, uh, of, of offerings. Wow. Uh, and I, I guess just backing up here quickly, this, your co-founder seems like the perfect fit for you. How did you guys connect? Um, so funny enough, I uh, had a friend um, from business school who um, reached out and, and said, I'm at a CB Insights FinTech conference. I know you're crazy about farmland. There's a guy here who wants to make farmland accessible to retail investors. You should talk with him, you know, like basically just like, you know, connecting the dots. Like you like farmland, this guy likes farmland, you should chat. Um, so I actually sent Artem a, you know, a, uh, a message saying, you know, I'd love to learn more about what you're doing and I'd love to become an investor. I wanted to actually be a, a client. Um, and so we met for coffee uh, um, in Columbus Circle and uh, during this conference. And um, I was asking so many questions about the business and what's your first deal going to be? How can I invest? How can I get involved? Uh, like, um, and we ended up, you know, continuing the conversation and, uh, and, uh, he asked me to invest with my time, uh, rather than my capital, and, uh, by joining the team. So, um, which I was obviously happy to do because I, I think this is a just tremendous vision and, and, uh, um, uh, and story to build out. So, uh, that's sort of how it happened, you know, and, um, we got to know each other a bit through that whole, uh, process and, um, we have a lot of complementary strengths, um, which is great in a, in a founding team. You don't want, um, two folks that are both, you know, great at spreadsheets and, um, and terrible at, I don't know what's, what's different than spreadsheets, uh, sales. Yeah. Sales. Sure. Um, you know, so Artem and I are, have a lot of complementary skills. Um, there's another member of our founding team, Olga, um, Ibazian, who, uh, has been on the journey even before I joined, she was with, with Artem from the very beginning. Um, and she has complementary skills as well. So the three of us, um, you know, really uh, bring a lot of different um, uh, strengths to the table, which I, I found to be really wonderful. And then also different perspectives. You know, we've all had 
different career stories, different experiences. And so um, it makes for, you know, I think a more productive and powerful um, decision-making team when we're all able to bring all those different perspectives to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So David, you mentioned the size of the deals has, has grown. So tell us, you know, how the business works today. You guys will go out and find a farm and it's up for sale and you say, okay, well, we want, we're interested in buying it. Then you take it to your platform of investors and they say, yeah, here, we're interested. And then you can just connect the two and you guys are the kind of the middleman and, and you, you get a fee for bringing everyone together. Um, you know, I, I think that is a little bit um, uh, too simplistic and there's more than that. Um, you know, we, we go out, we source, we underwrite the deals. The underwriting process is extremely detailed and, um, and rigorous. I, you know, we're looking at location. Um, we have uh, selected top tier operating partners where if, if a property falls outside one of those zones, it might be eliminated. Um, we look at climate risk. We underwrite for climate risk, temperature projections, uh, precipitation projections. We underwrite for that as well. Um, we look at water risk. If you're in California, what water district are you in? Um, how does the new riparian rights law, which is um, called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act or SIGMA, how does that impact the water rights um, that are pertinent to that given property in that district? Um, we look at um, uh, comparable sales and, and more sort of, you know, traditional real estate um, valuation metrics. Um, so uh, what's the gross acre sale? Um, what's the net acre sale value? Um, uh, what's the productivity of the property? Do we have historical information? It's, it's a process. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I would say for every at least 1,000, probably even more, for every 1,000 plus properties we, we see, um, only one actually ends up making it to the, to the platform for investors. Um, once we, you know, I, I would say backing up just a, a little bit before our property gets to the platform, um, we go through that whole process. We decide, yes, this property meets our thresholds. Um, we issue what's called a, an LOI or a letter of interest, which is basically the same as if you've ever purchased a home. Um, basically, you're reaching out to the seller and saying, um, I would like to offer you, uh, you know, a, X dollars for this property, um, let me know your thoughts. And then it becomes, it, it can become a negotiation. Sometimes there's a few counters back and forth and ultimately, hopefully, we settle on a, on a purchase price. Once we settle on a purchase price, we enter into another contract, which is called a purchase and sale agreement. Um, and that's what binds the, uh, the sale of the property. That's what ensures that we actually have the right to buy it. Um, again, if you ever purchased a home, it's the same exact process, LOI to PSA. Um, after the PSA is in place and that's been signed, that's when we move forward and begin uh, marketing the property to our investors. So that's when we'll go ahead and put it on the platform. Right. Okay. So like, give us like an idea of like what a typical farm is like they're growing tomatoes and it's thousand acres and it's going to give cash flow to all the investors. And then at the end, we're going to like, you know, sell it. We're going to do X, Y improvements and then sell it down the line. Like, is that kind of the investment thesis or how does that work? Yeah. You know, the beauty of farmland is um, there's so many different ways you can structure a deal where you can play with, uh, with risk and yield and, and basically create different deals that work uh, that meet objectives of certain investors. Cause obviously our investor base is um, is so diversified, and we have folks who are retired and um, and looking at this as an income producing asset. Um, we have folks who are 
at the beginning of their careers, and they're looking at this as a yield investment. Um, and so we want to structure different deals and different products along that risk and yield um, spectrum to meet all those different objectives. So it's hard to say what a typical deal might look like. I would say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you sort of three examples. Um, on the lowest risk, lowest yield side, we would probably say that would be like a row crop lease. Row crops are um, sometimes called annual crops. They're basically crops that you plant every single year. Corn, soy, wheat. Um, you lease that property out to a tenant um, and you're paid your annual rent in Q1 of any given calendar year. So you receive your rent before planting even happens. Typically planting happens in the spring. Um, you get your rent in Q1. Um, you have almost you know, basically no risk to operations. So whether corn prices go up 10%, down 10%, doesn't really matter to you. Um, you're basically just managing for counterparty risk. And it's a super fluid market. I think the vacancy rate is like 0.1% or something like that. So, um, you know, basically it's, it's just a rental play. Um, those deals typically have cash yields of around 25 to 3% net. Um, and IRRs of anywhere from seven to eight percent net. Um, so that's that's what you're you know that's the return profile that you're looking at for what we would consider to be like the lowest risk. We call them the treasuries of, of farmland. Right. Um, as you move up sort of the risk spectrum, um, I would say the next example, sort of the middle example, would either be um, a permanent property. So permanent crops would be. Um, it's basically a commodity that grows on a long-lived asset. Um, and you're going to depend on that long-lived biological asset for cash flows for maybe a decade, maybe several decades. So almond trees, um, wine grape vineyards, uh, apple trees, um, citrus groves, all examples of those uh, permanent, um, uh, permanent crop commodities. Um, you can lease permanent uh, crops just like you can lease row crops. Um, and typically those leases uh, can get uh, slightly higher cash yields because there is more inherent risk in owning a permanent asset like a tree or a vine. Um, you can also uh, do hybrid structures, which we've done where you have um, like a base rent component. Um, so maybe like a five and a half percent cap rate or something like that, some rental component plus a gross revenue share or a profit share. Um, so you have a little bit of upside as well. Um, so I call that, oh, and then like an example of returns there would be um, maybe like an average cash yield of uh, six, 7%, a net IRR probably like 10, 11%. Um, and then in that same sort of return profile, same risk bucket would be um, uh, what we would call a mature turnkey orchard. So that's a property that maybe we buy today. Um, the almond trees are say like 10 years old. Um, so they're in their mature steady state life. They're producing. Uh, that cash yield year one, um, you know, we've eliminated a lot of the risk of development because the tree is already matured. You end up paying more for that type of asset, of course, because there's less risk. Um, so you get less appreciation. Um, but again, high single digits cash yields there and, and low, you know, double digit net IRR, say 10, 11%. Um, and then on the further furthest end of the spectrum, highest yield, highest risk would be direct operating permanent assets. So those would be um, you know, like a uh, actually our largest deal today, the Galaxy Organic Apple Orchard, we are acquiring um, a, an existing apple orchard. Um, it's been planted to um, uh, Red Delicious, which is now an outdated variety. Um, we're going to be recycling all those trees, replanting a brand new variety, which is called Cosmic Crisp. Um, 
and also converting it to organic production. So we're going from conventional ag to certified organic ag. Um, there's way more risk involved because we're planting trees and anything could happen. You know, a, a tractor could kill like a three-year-old tree by running into it. And, um, and obviously that would be a, a not a good thing. Um, but uh, not that we expect any of that to happen, assuming that the tree is fully mature, which we expect they will, it ends up being a much higher yielding um, option because uh, you know basically you're you're creating a ton of value by putting in a brand new variety um, where you can command more uh, better basically better prices better margins in the market and you also have that organic premium um, since you switched to organic that deal specifically um, had a net IRR of uh, um, I believe close to fifteen percent and a cash yield close to twenty percent. Um, so, you know, we went all the way from the spectrum of sort of 3% cash yields to 20% cash yields and IRRs from, say, 7% IRRs to 15% plus IRRs. So, there's a, a, you know, I know that was a long answer, but, um, you know, all that to say, there's lots of ways to customize deals to meet, you know, different investment objectives. Yeah, no, it, David, it's fascinating to hear. I'm interested in farm and the environment, and I literally know none of this. So, this is like... Eye-opening. It's uh, very, very interesting. So uh, how can people like me that's like want to get involved in this and maybe invest or like start just to learn more, like what can we do? Great question. So, you know, there's so much information out there and, um, you know, we view our job, uh, obviously our duty to our investors is to um, deliver on what we promise and, and help them achieve um, their financial goals. But we also feel we have a duty to just evangelize this asset class and, and um, and get the word out about the history and how it works and why we're so excited about it. So um, we actually have a learning center on our website, farmtogether.com. Um, and we have uh, tons of content there, blogs, um, how it works, articles where we go through, you know, uh, what is an operating agreement with an operating partner? How do we, how do we enter one of those? What do they, you know, what do they detail? Um, or what does a development mean? How long does it take an almond tree to mature? Um, what's the process around that? So all those questions on how it works, all of that is on our um, learning center, as well as um, uh, information on performance. So we have a white paper um, where we go through the different um, annual average returns, uh, mean standard deviations of performance for farmland compared to public equities, um, fixed income, real estate, a bunch of other major asset classes um, uh, for the past 30 years from like, I believe 1990 to 2020. Um, so even if you're, you know, maybe less focused on, um, how does the actual farm work and you're looking at this more from like an investment lens and you're wondering what does the sharp ratio look like, or what do past, what does past performance look like? We have that information as well. Um, so all that's available on our learning center. Um, I would definitely recommend anyone uh, who's interested in learning more about farmland, um, go to our website and sign up for an account, uh, which is just farmtogether.com. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm doing that, David. This was uh, this was really delightful speaking with you. I, I loved hearing your story and and uh, and what you guys are doing now to you know better the world, change it. And I wish you all the luck because this was really enjoyable speaking with you. Thanks so much, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends and leaving a review wherever you're listening. Thanks.